If you have your Bible, you can go to the passage that uh, that Joel read earlier in Ephesians 2. That'll be kind of our, our key text. And uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is the verse that we're memorizing related to this particular um, sermon this morning. But Ephesians 2 will be a good spot to to land in, and though we'll be in other areas. We've been going through, this is the, the fourth in four weeks, through thinking about God's good news. Um, basically, we, what we're trying to understand is what is the core message of the gospel of salvation. And we've had just this simple outline of God, man or sin, Christ, and this week we'll think about response. And we'll also try to summarize all of all of that up. So this morning we're thinking about this idea of responding to God's good news. Um, there are some things that that we just sort of know how to respond to. It's sort of a, a reflex, you know. If someone tells you a good story, you, you smile and and you laugh and you enjoy listening to that story. If you eat something delicious, then the response is it's you don't have to try. You just say. Mm. Uh, I've noticed with little kids, if they're really thirsty and they drink some water, they you don't have to tell them to do this. They they finish the water and they say, ah. have you ever seen little kids do that? Um, if you hear a funny joke, what do you do? You laugh. If if you order some ice cream and they ask if you want whipped cream, you say yes. That's what you do every time. These are reflexes. This is always the right thing to do. Um, so how do we respond? What's the our response to to God's good news. And if we have understood rightly who God is, um, if we've understood rightly who we are in our sin, and if we've understood rightly who Christ is, then our response will be, there's a response that must happen, but it is more like a reflex. It's more like smiling at a, at a good story than it is a calculated response. That's having understood it all correctly. Um, in in, in another way, um, rightly understanding the gospel, if we understand it up to this point, then we know the ways that we are not able to respond. So if you think about maybe a maze, maybe you've been in a corn maze or, or something like that, and you get to a spot, they're never this intricate, but just imagine a spot where there's seven different options. You can go one of seven different ways, and you go down route one, dead end. You go down route two, dead end. Three, four, five, six, all dead ends. What do you know? Seven is the only option. And in some ways, if we understand who God is and what sin is and what Christ has done, we see all the dead ends. Well, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. If we see who he is, we know that the route of denying his existence and assuming that he has no interest in us, that doesn't fly because we know that he created the world and he made all things for his glory. If we want to go down the path that would lead us to do nothing, thinking that God's just going to sort of ignore sin, well, we know that's not true because God is holy and righteous. He has to deal with sin. If we think that good works will will be a path that will lead us to salvation, then we say, well, that's not going to work because I, I know I understand my sinfulness rightly. That righteous, even my righteous deeds are like filthy rags. That I'm I'm spiritually dead. I can't do I can't do anything to earn my salvation. In fact, I don't even want to be with God. I'm rebelling against him. If we, if we look at other religions, they are all in some way rooted in this idea of works righteousness. And so all of these paths are before us. And we think, well, how do we respond to the gospel? Well, it's, it's not this, it's not ignoring God. It's not works. It's not X, Y, Z. So what is the response? What do we do now? What? 
if Jesus and what he has done through his sinless life and through his substitutionary death and his resurrection, if those are the only option, then how do we receive that salvation? How do we respond to it? It may sound like splitting hairs, but I don't think we should say, what do we do? Do sounds like we're going to have some sort of effort, but I think response is, is the right thing. How do we, how do we respond? And the answer is we respond with repentance and faith. We respond with repentance and faith. We're going to spend the bulk of our time talking about what repentance and faith are, but I think tied up in there is the idea of the, the doctrine of regeneration. Regeneration of, of new life. So some people want to illustrate salvation and, and how we receive it like the, the idea of a, a life preserver or a life ring being tossed to someone who is drowning. So imagine that you are drowning. You're in the middle of the ocean and you're there, you're, you're treading water and the Coast Guard comes to rescue you. And as you're there treading water, they throw you this, this life ring. And with your last bit of strength, you reach out and you grab that, that life ring and they drag you to the side of the boat and you are saved. That is your, that is your salvation. That's the illustration. Maybe you've heard that before that we're drowning in our sin. Death is imminent. Jesus comes. He offers us salvation. And what are we supposed to do? You just reach out and you grab it. The, the problem is that if salvation, that, that assumes there's some sort of life in us. There's some sort of ability for us, some sort of strength, small though it may be, to reach out and sort of grab this life ring. But what did Joel read for us in Ephesians 2? Look at those verses again. Ephesians 2, and let me just read verses 1 through 3. And you were dead. What were we? Dead in our trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So in other words, following after Satan, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So what are we in our sins? We are dead in our sins. Dead people don't grab life rings. They, 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 if they're floating on the surface, they're face down typically, right? And if you're there long enough, you're on the ocean floor. What do we, we don't need a life ring. We need a life guard. We need someone to dive down and pull us off the bottom. And then we need some sort of supernatural superhero lifeguard that can give us new life. Not just CPR because we're dead. We need like new life and a, and a new heart. Jesus puts it this way to Nicodemus in John 3. What does he tell Nicodemus he needs to be? You need to be born again. You need a whole new life. And if we are spiritually dead, then what we need is regeneration. We need new life. Here's why this is important. Imagine yourself on that life, that that, that boat after you have been rescued, okay? And you are filled with thanks towards your rescuers. But even as you talk to them, you start saying, you know, I didn't think I could tread water that long. I just, I just kept going. It must have been the adrenaline. I just kept moving my arms, and I, and I stayed up, and I was afloat. And then you guys threw that ring to me, and, you know, I was a little far away, but I used my last measure of strength, and I reached out, and I, and I grabbed that thing. Now, you're thankful to those that saved you, and you, would be, you recognize I would be dead apart from my rescuers. But even in that moment, isn't there this small bit of pride, this small bit of effort that says, well, 
Yeah, they saved me. It was, you know, like 99% them. But I did something. And that becomes this, this source of pride. But the gospel, the salvation that's explained in Scripture is one where God alone is glorified. That from beginning to end, it's, it's his work and we contribute nothing. Which is why faith is the way that we respond. That's, that's the first thing we'll talk about. What is faith? What is faith? I want to give you three ideas of what faith is. Faith is is a word that's often misunderstood in our society, isn't it? It's thought of as belief against reason. So when all of our senses say that something isn't true, faith sort of steps in and believes anyway. My kids were watching Miracle on 34th Street as we traveled to visit family. Um, and so I, I just heard the dialogue. I didn't get to see anything. But uh, in the movie, there's a, a, a little girl, and she sort of doubts the existence of, of Santa. Maybe you know this this story. But she slowly comes to the point where she wants to believe in him. And near the end of the movie, her mother says to her about faith, this is the definition that her mother gives to her. She says, faith is, is believing in things when common sense tells you not to. Faith is believing in things when common sense tells you not to. And so the little girl is trying to have faith. And you know what she says? I believe. I believe. It's silly. But I believe. That's what her faith is. This is dumb. But I believe anyways. People, that's, that's how people view faith, isn't it? That it's, that it's irrational. It's ridiculous. And in order to get something out of Christianity or religion, what people have to do is sort of check their brains. You know, don't turn off your brain because this is all ridiculous. People reject Christianity because they want proof. There's a great Paul Simon song. He says, faith is an island in the setting sun. Proof is the bottom line for everyone. That's what everyone wants. I want proof, undeniable proof. But is that what faith is? Is it, is it as the mother on Miracle on 34th Street says, is it um, faith is believing in things when common sense tells you not to? What does Hebrews 11.1 1 tell us the definition of faith? As you know, this, this is the great definition of faith in Scripture. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the assurance or the substance of things hoped for, the evidence or the conviction of things that are not seen. So does faith believe in the unseen? Yes. But does it do it without any sort of reason? No. It's based on certain convictions, on, on assurances that have some sort of, of evidence. That, that's why trust might be a better word in our society than faith sometimes to use. Because it carries the same meaning but without the same sort of baggage. When we think about trust, it implies that we believe in something or someone based on their character, based on some sort of evidence that we have. I trust this person because they are worthy of trust, or I don't trust this person because they are untrustworthy. You may think about someone that you trust. Yeah, when they say they're going to do something, they're going to do it. Or on the other side, you may think about people that are untrustworthy. I had a print job that I needed to pick up at a local store. I showed up 15 minutes early because I had an appointment a little bit later, and whenever I come, they cannot find my order consistently. This is probably the third time. So I didn't trust them. And I'm glad I didn't trust them, because guess what? They couldn't find my order. They are untrustworthy. We know people like that. We know people in businesses that are that way, but we know those that are trustworthy. And, and there's, there's something that, so the idea here is that we're not checking reason at the door, but there's a plausible reason why we should believe in someone or something. 
And with Christianity, as we look at the world, everyone's looking at the same evidence. Tim Keller, I've heard him explain this so well, that everyone's looking at the same evidence, aren't we? We all have the same ideas about what, why the world is here, why we exist, what our purpose in life is. And we all have the same evidence. Christianity just makes the best explanation of all the evidence that we have. It's the most plausible. It's the most reasonable. It's the most logical way of understanding the world the way that it is. Now, that's not to say that faith and trust are just pure reason, are they? Because there is a point at which we move beyond just logic and, and beyond rationality and, 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 and beyond just just logic. So Hebrews 11 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. He says, By faith we, we believe that the world was made by the word of God. Any of you there when the world was made? None of us were. The author of Hebrews wasn't there, but by faith we believe it, because based on the words of Scripture, based on the, the design of the world, we say there is a creator, and this makes the most sense. We believe based in part on rationality, but then there's also this move where we say it's faith. That's, that's all the core doctrines of Christianity, isn't it? The, the virgin birth or the Trinity, or the death and the resurrection of the Son of God. We can have reason and rationality behind them. In some cases, we have historical witnesses, but there are also moments at which we must step beyond that and say, I take this by faith. I believe it. Faith is not irrational, but it's not purely rational. That's why you can't argue people into the kingdom of heaven, right? You can't just convince them to come, because there's a point at which... There must be faith. And that's the first thing I want to say about faith, actually, is that faith is a gift of God. Faith is a gift of God, a gift from God. The, the rest of Ephesians 2 plays this out. So Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 establishes the fact that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And then those wonderful words in verse 4, But God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Then these wonderful verses, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God pre prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are saved by grace, through faith, and none of that is our own doing. It is a gift from God. Faith is, is a gift. So even the way that we respond comes from God. Salvation is God's work from beginning to end. But we're still called to believe, right? There's this, this difficult tension that we have where God is the one that gives the faith and yet we are called to respond. What will that faith look like? What will this faith that God gives look like? Well, faith is a gift. The second thing, faith involves mind, our mind, our heart, and our will. Faith involves our mind, our heart, and our will. Faith has to be put into something. And so our mind has to understand certain truths that we're going to trust 
in. Those are the truths that we've been relating, right? About who God is, about what sin is and the consequences of sin, and about what Christ has done. We need to understand those things. There's a mental understanding that that comes with faith. And so that's why Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, what? That God raised him from the dead. You've got to believe something. Then you will be saved. But true faith also involves our heart. It sees, it sees Christ, it sees the gospel message, and it loves God with the heart. God draws our affections to love Christ more than anything else. And then faith involves our will. We put our hope in Christ alone for salvation. Have you heard the illustration of faith related to a chair? So you're all sitting in chairs. And you sat down in that chair because you looked at it and you said, in my head I understand and I believe that that chair will hold me up. And then when did it become real faith? When you sat down in it. That's when you enacted your will. I think we should add to that illustration also that that you have to think this chair is a beautiful chair. Because with salvation, it's the only chair, right? There's only one chair for you to sit in. And it's it's the chair of faith in Christ. And so you look at that chair and you say, I want to sit. You don't think this chair is a terrible chair, that it's the ugliest chair you've ever seen, but rather your affections are drawn towards it. And that's what the gospel is, that, that we see who Jesus is. We see what he has done. And our hearts are drawn to, to have this salvation, and then we move in action and place our hope completely on him. When you sit in that chair of faith, when you sit in the gospel, what are you trusting? What are you believing in? You're trusting in Jesus' atoning sacrifice, trusting that he paid the penalty for our sins through his death so that we don't have to. And you're trusting in Jesus' righteousness, his imputed righteousness, his given righteousness, that God looks at the perfect sinless life of Jesus, and he credits that to us by faith. Paul says this in Romans 5, 18 and 19. He contrasts Adam with Jesus. He says, Therefore, as one trespass, speaking of Adam, led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. We are judged by God because of our sin, and Jesus takes our judgment upon himself. But God also requires us to be holy and to be righteous. And Jesus, by faith, gives us his holiness and his righteousness so we can stand before God blameless. Faith is a gift from God. Faith involves our minds, our hearts, and our wills. And all that adds up to this truth. Faith glorifies God alone. Faith glorifies God alone. Remember that guy who grabbed the life ring? If we have anything to do with our salvation, then we will take some credit for it and we will rob God of the glory that should be his alone. But faith magnifies the grace of God in a way that no other response can. Our response then is, is like, it's like falling. And, and we are falling in God-given faith into God's salvation through Christ. We, we read on, or we sang, on Christ the solid rock I stand. He says, um, I brought it up here because I knew I wouldn't be able to remember it when I tried to. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. Sweetest frame of mind is what he's talking about. And then he says, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. That's what faith is, isn't it? It's just, 
leaning. We're just falling onto Christ is what we're doing. And that glorifies him. Well, if you think about the response to the gospel like a coin with faith on one side, then the flip side is repentance. They always come together, faith and repentance. They're two sides of the same coin. One necessitates the other. So what is faith? We answered, as in part at least. What is repentance? What is repentance? It literally means a turning. It's 180 degrees. So you're walking in one direction, and you turn around and face and walk the other direction. So we've said in our sin, we're in rebellion against God. Repentance then is turning away from sin and coming back to Christ. Sally Lloyd-Jones in, in the Jesus Storybook Bible, this is how she describes repentance. Stop running away from God and run to him instead. I love that. That's what repentance is. Don't run away from God anymore. Run to him instead. Well, like faith, we'll see some similar. Let me give you three points again, but they'll be very, very similar to what we just wrote down. Repentance is a gift from God. Repentance is a gift from God. Second Timothy 2, 24 through 26 says this. It's speaking of of the Lord's servant. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. So he's correcting his opponents. And then it says here, God may perhaps grant them, the opponents, repentance. God might grant them. He might give them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth so that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. God gives this awakening to what our sin is. Apart from the gift of repentance, we just continue in our sin and we don't realize what we're doing. You know, we think about telling the good news of the gospel to others, and I'm saying that that our response is given by God. Repentance and faith are gifts from God, but we're still telling people that they need to respond. And we do, we need to make a clear call, come to Jesus, while recognizing that God alone is the one that will cause them to come. I think that should change the way we think about evangelism. Do we need to know the core truths of the gospel? Yes. But we should emphasize knowing those things as much as, maybe maybe less than prayer and reliance on the Spirit, because who's going to save? God alone is going to save that person. It's not your polished presentation of the gospel. They need to hear the truth, because they need to have something to believe in, yes. But ultimately, we rely on God to save. And so as you present the gospel to people, you, we all do it poorly. We know, no one has ever done it probably perfectly, I don't think. Uh, maybe Spurgeon. No, even, even him maybe. But no one does it perfectly. So what is faithfulness in evangelism? Mark Dever says this. He said that I'm, summari- I'm, I'm, I'm not summarizing. I'm whatever it is. Paraphrasing. That's the word I was going for. He says success in evangelism is not seeing people become Christians necessarily but rather it's faithfully presenting the gospel as opportunities come up. That's what we're called to do. God is the one who saves. And yet we are called to call people to respond, repent and believe. So we do what John the Baptist and Jesus did. Repent, believe, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repentance is a gift. What will this repentance look like? Well, repentance involves our minds, our hearts, and our wills. If we repent, it has to do with sin specifically, so we understand that our sin is rebellion against the Holy God and that we have sin. We see it. We understand it in our minds. In our hearts, how do we feel about sin? We hate it. Repentance, when God works repentance in the heart of someone, they hate 
sin, often before people even come to faith, what happens? They start to not enjoy the things that they enjoyed before. Sin is no longer enjoyable. They, the, the things that had brought them pleasure, are now they now bring pain. And it's not just the consequences that they hate, but they, they are thinking about that there is a holy God that is going to judge them. And, and that's scary, and it doesn't make them want to do those things anymore. They hate sin. And then what does repentance do? Turns. Stops sinning. It, it stops going against God in rebellion, and it turns and tries to follow him. The greatest example, I think, in Scripture is the prodigal son in Luke 15, where he runs away from his father. And he's in that foreign land, remember, and he's feeding the pigs. And it says in Luke 15, but when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. You see what's going on there? He comes to himself. Something happens where he says, what am I doing? Before he had thought this was so great. What a great idea. And suddenly he comes to himself. And he realizes in his head this is wrong, and in his heart he hates this sin. And then what does he do? He says, he says, I'm going to get up. And then it says, he got up. He arose and came to his father. He enacted his will and went to the father. And then the beauty of salvation, what's the father do? The father runs and meets him. The father comes to him. Faith, repentance involves our minds, a hate, an understanding of sin, our hearts, a hatred for sin, and a will that turns from sin. So repentance is a gift. It involves our minds, our hearts, and our wills. And again, like faith, repentance glorifies God alone. It glorifies God alone. He is the one that is seen working in us. What are we repenting from? If we think about what we are trusting in, we're trusting in Christ's atoning sacrifice, what he has done for us as our substitute, and we are repenting from our sin. We're recognizing that we have sinned and we need, we need to repent so that Christ can atone for us. And that's what we're repenting from, our personal sin. We're trusting in the righteousness of Jesus. And then we're also repenting. And we need to make sure that as we talked about this, that we, and, and that we ourselves, that we're repenting also from trusting in our own perceived righteousness. So often that, that just holds a grip on our hearts. I will recognize that I sin and I'm ready to turn from sin. And yet in the back of my mind, I still think there's something about me that is good. There's something about me that made me want to follow Christ or that made Christ want to come and, and make me his child. And we need to repent of our own perceived righteousness. Repentance renounces any good work. It's not a work in and of itself either, but it's a spirit wrought turning that happens repentance and faith they are how we respond they are gifts of god's grace they change our minds our hearts and our wills and they glorify god as the giver of salvation they're like david in front of goliath i think so you remember how small and weak david is he can't beat goliath on his own in his own strength and so he comes before goliath and what does goliath do to david he laughs at him he mocks him and what's David's response? He says, you come to me with a sword, and with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. 
This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that David saves, that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. I think repentance and faith are like little David. And they say, I can't do anything. But the Lord will glorify himself by conquering the enemy of sin. The battle is the Lord's. He will save and He won't do it with sword or spear. He won't do it with good works. He won't do it with church attendance. He'll do it with repentance and faith. You know, think about, as we think about repentance and faith, God is asking people, He's asking us to release any confidence that we have in ourselves for our salvation and to trust Him completely. He's calling us to stop running away from Him and run to Him instead. He's awakening us to our rebellion against Him and He's calling us to join Him in working for our joy and, and for His glory rather than fighting Him and going our own way. I thought about it from this angle that it has to do with receiving Christ as Savior and Lord. So, so faith causes us to throw ourselves on Jesus as our Savior. He's my only hope for salvation. And repentance causes us to turn from our sins and from ourselves and letting ourselves rule us and rather let Jesus be Master and Lord in my life. Salvation means that we go from a place of being under condemnation by God and being in rebellion to God to the place where we know God is our Savior and where He is our Lord and our Master. Some people say that you can accept Jesus as your Savior, but not as your Lord. So in other words, you can receive the gift of salvation through faith, but not really allow God to be king in your life. When I think about the response of repentance and faith, my thought towards that is, what a joke. <laughs> and I call it a joke because it's, it's a lie that has caused millions of people to think that because they have some understanding of the grace of God and have turned in some sort of faith to him at some vague point in their life that they are safe for all eternity. But there's no evidence that Jesus is ruling over their life as, as king. And the nature of true saving faith and repentance is that we're given a new heart. And we're given a new nature. We turn from sin. We, we hate sin and we love Christ. We're new creations filled with a longing to, to lay down our lives for Christ. We're God's children. We want to walk with and, and please him. I don't know how you can accept him as Savior and turn from sin and not also let him be Lord. Now, that shows up in different ways throughout our lives, definitely. But we must walk with him. So have you come to a place of repentance and faith? Have you turned from sin and placed yourself fully in Christ? Is he Savior and Lord? God sent his Son to this earth. Think about that at Christmas, to be the Savior of the world. This is what John says in 1 John 1, 9-13. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The light of the world comes into the world. And for all who receive him, 
And, and a notice, he says, we're not born of the blood or the will of the flesh or the will of man. We're born of God, the will of God, that we become children of God. If you understand who God is and what sin is and what Christ has done, then we must repent. We must turn from our sins and place our hope in him alone. And if we are in Christ, if you are in Christ, remember that faith and repentance aren't simply the way that we enter into relationship with God, but they're the way that we continue to relate with him through our entire lives on this earth. We continually are repenting from sin and trusting in Christ. The wonder of salvation is that before we were unable to please God in any way, unable to do anything that he told us to do or to respond to him in any way. And now through repentance and faith and the power of the Spirit, we hate sin and we love Christ and we can follow after him. It's not full and complete like it will be one day. And so we continue, repent. we repent and we believe. We repent and we believe. This is the cycle of our lives. It's the mystery of sanctification that we are called to do something and yet it's God that is at work in us. I think at the end of the year, as, as we think about New Year's resolutions, and I want to be different this year, don't fall into some trap to thinking that you can do it on your own. Do we pridefully assume that we can make ourselves better rather than relying on God's strength? Like Paul says to the Galatians, having begun by the Spirit, are you going to be perfected by the flesh? No, our whole lives are repentance and faith. And so if you have any resolution, maybe this would be it. Let me be someone who repents and believes all year long, who's just constantly repenting, turning from sin and self-righteousness, admitting when I fail, trusting in Christ, asking him to continue to work in me, asking him to help me love him more, throwing myself on him completely. That's the only way that we can continue to glorify God and, and walk with him is a life of repentance and faith. So let's draw this thing to a close, this whole series, right? What is God's good news? It has to do with God, sin, Christ, and response. It has to do with God who is the creator of everything. He's made everything. And he is the one who has rule over this world, and not just over this world, but over us, because he made us and he made us in his image. And he tells us what's right and wrong. That could be a scary thing, but we know that God is good, that he is loving, and that he is merciful, and he is kind. The difficulty is that he is also holy and righteous. That's not a bad part of God's character. It's just the reality of who he is, that he must deal with sin. The problem is that when it comes to us, we are sinners. Sin is rebellion against the God who made us, against the, the one who created us. We rebel, we run away from him. And we have all done it. Who has sinned? Everyone has sinned. And the results of sin are death, physical and spiritual. One day we will die and we are spiritually dead. We're unable to do what God requires us to do. We cannot keep the law. And therefore we are separated from him. Our sin causes separation between us and God. And if we die in our sins, we will remain separated from him for all eternity under his wrath, condemned to hell. It's a bleak situation, but Christ comes on the scene. Jesus comes who is fully God and fully man. He lives a sinless life. He comes as the Messiah King that was promised in the Old Testament. And he comes as a suffering servant. He lives a sinless life. And because of that sinless life, he can take my sin upon himself and take the penalty for my sin and die in my place. And because of that sinless life, he can give me the righteousness that I need when I trust in him. And so my response is that I believe. I believe what Christ has done 
I love him with my heart and I follow him with my will. I repent from sin. I see my rebellion. I turn from it with my, in my heart. I hate my sin and I turn and try and seek to follow after God. And when I throw myself completely on Christ as my Savior and as, as my Lord, I'm saved. That's the good news. And I am made right with God. The separation is brought back together and I'm given new life, a new heart. And I will one day, because Jesus is the resurrected Lord, be raised up to be with him forever. Where he will reign as Savior and Lord over this world. That's good news. And it's good news that we are called to tell to everyone. It's the work that God has done and that God continues to do. And he does it not because of anything good in us. But because of how great and good he is. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Is what Paul writes. Let's take a moment of silence to reflect on God's good news and on how he has called us to respond to it in repentance and faith. And then I will pray for us. Not to us, O Lord. Not to us, but to your name be all the glory. Lord, salvation is your work from beginning to end. There is no other way except through Christ. Thank you for the gift of repentance and faith. We confess that they have nothing to do with any goodness in us. They are a gift from you. We thank you, God, that you have made us your children through repentance and faith. I pray for anyone who has not responded to you in that way she would help them to see sin to hate sin to turn from sin to see Christ to love Christ to cast themselves completely on him Lord and help us to walk with and please you as we walk in repentance and faith that we would confess our need always before you and we would fully rely on you to do anything good through us God may this year be a year of repentance and faith and may you be glorified I pray it all in jesus name amen